Genesis chapter 17. We had talked last week about the covenant that God had made with Abraham uh, in a little bit more detail. Originally, God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We saw him in, when he was Abram say, get out from your home country, get away from your family. I'm going to make a new nation out of you. I'm going to bless the people that bless you. I'm going to curse the people that curse you. I'm going to make Uh, I'm going to bless the entire world through you and your descendants. So Abraham said, that sounds good. He went along his way. And then in chapter 15, we see again, God comes and says, I'm going to give you a son, even though he was old. And he was uh, 75 years old at the time. And uh, Abraham said, great. I I guess this is going to be miraculous because me and my wife are old, but good. I'm glad this is going to happen because he had all this wealth. He wanted to pass it on. And uh, he didn't want to pass it on to his servant. He wanted to pass it on to his rightful heir. Um, So 13 years went by. God didn't see, or Abraham didn't see any sign of God's promise coming to fruition. So Sarah said, you know what, maybe God wants us to take matters into our own hands. And we're just, we forgot about that part. So let's take care of that. Here's Hagar. And you can have Hagar as your second wife. And then we know that uh, Hagar was pregnant by Abraham and gave birth to Ishmael. And we're going to see here that God comes to Abraham and says, Ishmael is not the son that I was talking about. I didn't want you to take matters into your own hands. I wanted you to rely and trust in the promise that I gave you. Um, And then as we go through, we're going to see, we're going to catch up with Lot again and his family. And tonight we're going to have some fun (laughs) because we're going to talk about circumcision and we're going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his daughters, which are some great Great chapters in the Bible. Somehow I end up getting these chapters. I don't know. I was talking to Justin earlier and I said, you know, I got the the sons of God and the daughters of man, that whole chapter. And then Noah, when he gets drunk and he's naked in his tent and his son makes fun of him because he was naked. I'm like, all these like weird passages in the Bible, I get the pleasure of teaching them to you guys. It's exciting. I'm really, I'm excited. Um, So let's dive in. Uh, We're going to read a lot. Because there's a lot of ground to cover, so if you could just bear with me, uh, I'm going to take breaks in between and and elaborate, but the story kind of tells itself, so that's what we're going to look at. Verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, which means exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, which means father of a multitude. You you can imagine that Abraham walking around with the name exalted father and having no offspring. That was kind of a, probably something that he did not like having that name, whether it was people were mocking him or he just didn't like having that name. And now God says, Not only are you going to be an exalted father, you're going to be the father of nations. And he's like, Ishmael, okay, cool. I can see this starting to come to fruition, God. I'm on board. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Remember that word, everlasting. People have forgotten it these days. To be God to you. And to your offspring after you, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So when we look at this, this is the fourth time that God has appeared to Abraham in this way. Uh, He initially called him, then we see uh, after he rescues, I'm sorry, uh, after he separates from Lot, 
and he allows Lot to take the land that he wants. God appears to him there and says, all of this is yours, Abraham. Go check out your borders. We talked about that when Chris was here. Um, and then we saw last week that God appeared to Abram uh, and did the covenant. Like he actually instituted the covenant where he separated the animals and God walked through or his presence went through between the animals and to institute the covenant. And now we see again God appearing to Abraham and saying, he re- reiterates some of what he had already said, but he elaborates on, on things as well. Um, and up to this point, the covenant was unconditional, and it still is. The, the parts about the land and all those things are unconditional. And there hasn't really been any, anything that God expected for Abraham to do, except to just believe that the promise was true. And now we're going to see that the, the one thing that God asked Abram to do to show his obedience and his, uh, his uh, commitment to the covenant that God had made with him. So um, it's interesting because all of the other covenants in the Bible, the Mosaic covenant, which is the covenant he makes with Moses, the Ten Commandments and stuff, uh, the Davidic covenant, which is the covenant he makes with David and says, you know, up from your descendants, there will always be somebody sitting on the throne. There are several other covenants that God makes in Scripture. They're all based on this initial covenant that he makes with Abraham because Abraham is the father of Israel or the father of Isaac and then Isaac's the father of Israel and that's his chosen people. So it's interesting to note that and that's why we're spending so much time looking at this covenant specifically because we talked about it last week because Abraham believed that is how we have faith in Christ and the new covenant is something that we can partake in because the same belief that we put in Christ is the belief that God put in I'm sorry, Abraham put in God to fulfill his promise of his descendants blessing the earth and his ultimately his descendant Jesus Christ would bless all of the earth by when he said, you know, I will draw all men to myself. Um, so in verse 6, he said, kings shall come from you. We know that Saul was the first king of Israel. He was a descendant of Benjamin, who was the great-grandson of Abram. Um, but David, more, more in particularly, was the descendant of Judah and, of course, was the king after God's own heart. And ultimately, the promised seed of Abraham would come and be fulfilled in Christ, like I had said. He's going to come. Jesus, is, at the end of days, is going to come and set up his kingdom on earth and reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And in Matthew 1.1, which is actually the first verse of the New Covenant, or the New Testament as we call it, we see these people here. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So these three people are very specific that, that God points out. It's Abraham first, then David, who is the king after his heart who would then have a descendant, and we know that Jesus comes from the line of David, and he is the the fulfillment of every covenant, essentially. Uh, We talked about that last week, so you can listen back to that if you want to. Let's move on. Um, Verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So you can see... There's a lot of words there that, he, that are restated over and over again. That's why I'm kind of trying to read them in bulk um, and then to point out, this, you know, sum up the, the paragraph here. He's saying, okay, now, Abraham, what you can do for me is this. You can 
have all of you, your, your descendants, the people in your house that are your property, essentially, they should all be circumcised as a sign that you believe my covenant, that you're going to be faithful to uphold uh, the requirements of the covenant, and that you are going to uh, have faith in me to fulfill the covenant. Um, we talked about it. The, uh, the covenant between the parts, which is what we looked at last week in Genesis 15, where he cuts the animals in half, and we talked about that at great length. It's the basis for the Brit Malah, which is the covenant of circumcision in Judaism, when they have the, uh, I think it's called the, the bris, the celebration that they still do to this day, where they circumcise the male child. Uh, and it's a, it's a big celebration. Um, the, uh, in Genesis, we see this instituted, and there are specific things that I want to call out about the covenant before we move on. So the covenant that God had made between chapters 12 and 17, it was, one, to make Abram a great nation and bless Abraham and make his name great so that he will be a blessing and bless the, God will bless them who bless him and curse them who curse him, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed. So there's the first part. Then he's going to give Abraham's descendants all of the land from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates, which we looked at last week. Later, this land came to be referred to as the promised land or the land of Israel. That's what we know today, or a portion of it at least. And then he promised to make Abram the father of many nations, of many descendants, and give the whole land of Canaan to his descendants. So it's not just to Abraham, and then he's going to lose it. It's for all of his descendants. And then circumcision is the permanent sign of this everlasting covenant. So in covenants, we talked about it last week, the severing of an animal. The root word, the root Hebrew word is a verb for the word covenant that means to cut. And a lot of Jewish scholars and most people believe that's where we have the idea of circumcision, of the cutting around of the foreskin. And, and that, it, that permanent uh, change to the anatomy was a reflection of a permanent covenant that God had made. And it was to set them apart from the nations. And that's, um, that's a big deal. And the Jews to this day, and many people to this day, hold they put their faith in strictly that, the, the covenant of circumcision. And, and what was intended to be a sign of a covenant that God had made and planned to uphold became the religion itself. And they took pride in the fact that they were circumcised. And you, as you read through Scripture, you start to see everything is about are you circumcised or are you not circumcised? Rather than do you follow the God of Israel or other gods? It starts to become very uh, specific and it starts to become more about what, you've, what have you done, not who do you believe. You know what I mean? Um, and that's what we deal with today a lot of times when we're talking about Christianity. It's like, yeah, but what have you done to earn your way back to God? What have you done to show God that you really believe in him and care? Not, what has God done for you? And in, in what God do you believe? So we see that over and over again. You start talk, They start talking about, oh, the uncircumcised, they're awful. We're the cool people because God chose us, right? And we see over time and time again that that is something that uh, is, God has to rebuke. And we'll talk about that in a second. So let's move on in verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. So he's specifying here, it's not going to be a son, just in general, that you can have with any woman. It's The promise is a son through Sarah, who was barren. And what's interesting, in the Hebrew, it's at where, where it says, I will give you a son. It actually literally means, I have given you a son. So it's past tense in God's perspective. I promised it, therefore it is, because God's outside of time. And he wants us to believe the same. Like, we think of time as like, okay, like Abraham was back then, and then Jesus, and then us. God doesn't see it that way, which is kind of weird to think about. 
you know, we talked about it before, how Abraham it says the gospel was preached to Abraham. And you're like, how is that possible? And Jesus said, uh, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're not even 50 years old. How do you know what Abraham did? How do you know anything about Abraham? You're only, you're 30, whatever, 32 years old. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And we have this omnipresent, (laughs) ever-existing God who sees the end from the beginning. So when he says to Abraham, I have given you a son, that's true. He, He promised it and therefore it is. And oh, if we would believe in the promises of God with that type of faith. Because when God says something in his word, it's a done deal. The promises of God are yes and amen, the Bible says. We don't have to doubt. What do we do most more than anything is we doubt. That's how the enemy gets us. That's the only way he can attack us is in our minds with doubting God in what he says, what he does, and who he is, and who we are in him. That's the biggest tool that he has. He can't make us do anything, but what he can do is to make us doubt who we are and who God is, and that's what he does. Um, so we see this as, he, as we continue on. The, the covenant transitions from being Abraham and his descendants. Now he's saying, no, it's, it's even more specific. It's through Sarah. And he says, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Just like he said to Abraham, you will become nations. She will become nations. King of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So we see this, and as we transition here, this next few paragraphs as we move into chapter 18 are really humorous. So I hope you guys kind of pick up on what the Bible is, the divine humor that God puts in this story, because man is frail, man is simple. <laughs> you know, we, we don't understand the things of God, and God shows us that even the men of faith, Abraham, who's the father of faith, He's like, are you kidding? I'm 100 years old. How am I going to have a son? More importantly, look at that woman over there. She's 90. I, like, why does he bring her into this? I think the fact that he's 100, 100 years old is hard enough for God to make him have a child. So, um, And then he says, oh, God, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So now God's given a timetable from Abraham's perspective. Before he said, I've given you Isaac already from my perspective, but I'm going to tell you now from your perspective, it's going to be this time next year. You're going to have a son. And I think this is a really something we kind of, we, we give Ishmael a bum rap, bum rap because of his descendants. And it did, did say, God did prophesy to Hagar that he was going to be a wild donkey of a man, which is, I don't know what that means, but it's kind of funny. Um, but we see here, Abraham loves Ishmael. It's his son, his true blood son, right? And up till this point, he thought that this was the son that God intended for me to have. And I think we forget about that. We forget that there was 13 years that have gone by here. And that up to this point, it's not clear. If you go back and look at chapter 15 and 12, he doesn't say, God doesn't say to Abraham specifically what he's saying here, where it's going to be through Sarah, it's not going to be Ishmael. You know, so Abraham's kind of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to operate based on what I know, even though God hasn't revealed all of the information to me yet, I'm just going to kind of start moving forward in my own strength and figure it out for myself, which is a dangerous place to be. We talked about that last week. 
if God hasn't revealed something to you and you're just kind of going with half information or, you know, you feel like, eh, maybe I should do this and you step into it and it doesn't work out, maybe it's because you moved too soon. And we saw that with uh, Sarai and Hagar. But Abraham loves Ishmael and based on what God says here, God says he loves Ishmael too. You know, he says, I'm going to make him a great nation too. He's going to be fruitful. But the problem is, is that Ishmael throughout scripture is a type of the flesh, the work of our own effort. And though God can sometimes allow us blessing, even in spite of our lack of faith, it's not, it may not be his best for us. Uh, if we're doing things, he's going to say, God loves us. You know, he doesn't want to withhold things from us. But if we're trying hard and we're striving to make things happen and fulfill the promises of God on our behalf ourselves, there's going to be times in our life where it seems to be going right. And sometimes we go, wow, I'm being blessed. This must mean that God's okay with what I'm doing. And that's a dangerous thing because there are a lot of people that you look at their life and they're like, man, that guy's blessed. Robin Williams, right? Everybody knows his name. He's got millions and billions of dollars. He's the funniest guy in Hollywood, as they say. But inside, what was really true? He was despairing. He was depressed. He wasn't funny at all. He didn't find life funny. He found it miserable and he took his life. So oftentimes we look at our situation and say, oh, things are going pretty good right now. Me and God must be really tight. That's not really how God portrays his nature in scripture, his character. He says, I will worry about whether it's good or whether it's not good. You believe in me. You put your faith in my promises and I will take care of the rest. Um, So we move on in verse 22. When he finished talking with God, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money. Every male among the men of Abraham's house, he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Notice that. He does not hesitate. He says, all right, God's gone. Let's do it. Guys, line up. (laughs) I would not want to be here for this event. I'm glad it was taken care of. You know, like what, eight days old, when you don't remember anything anymore, that's great. That's the way God meant it to be. Abraham was the lucky guy who at 99 had to take care of business himself. I don't envy him whatsoever. Uh, sorry, I have to make it a little humorous because it is kind of, you put yourself in the scenario there. Uh, and imagine him saying, okay, God told me we, I have to circumcise you guys. And they weren't there. They didn't hear God say that. Put yourself in the position of the servants, the guys who were purchased. He's like, okay, so you purchased me, I'm your slave, and now you're going to do what? I don't think so. I don't like this. I'm out of here. Whatever debt I owe you, I'll work it off, but that's not happening. You know, like, think about the faith that Abraham had and how that must have Im- affected the people around him, his family, his servants. Obviously, they kind of had to do what he said because they were he was their boss, but they were collectively committing to this covenant that God had made with Abraham their father, their, you know, their patriarch, as it were. It's interesting. Is there something that God has called us to cut out of our lives to say, you know what? That's not for you. It may be for that person. It's not for you. No doubt it was painful, but complete obedience puts us in the will of God and there's no safer place to be, as we'll see as we move into the next few chapters. So Abraham, when he was 99 years old, he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. I love how the Bible has to reiterate that so much. That, that sentence is there like 50 times in this chapter. So it's, it's great to say. Uh, verse 25, And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. I think the Bible, a lot of times we put, the Bible puts details in here and you're like, why? Why does it have to say it again? Why is it saying it again? They just said it. 
I think it's to show that obedience to the letter is what God calls us to. There's no, yeah, and Ishmael instead got a tattoo because that was cool. He was 13. He pierced his ear. No, he did exactly what his father did, which is what God commanded him to do. He was circumcised. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Now, as I said before, circumcision was intended to be an outward sign of an inward change, a heart change, a change in direction, a repentance, as it were, as we, we understand it to be under the new covenant with Christ. It was a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And as I said before, people started to take pride in the circumcision and forget about the God who told them to be circumcised. And I see it now. There are people that I know that are Orthodox Jews, and they follow the law to the letter, except the moral laws. Like, they're totally fine with whatever. But, you know, they can't have milk and, and, uh, and meat in the same place. It's kind of weird. You know, you're like, but I thought it was about, like, turning your heart towards God and, and becoming like God, you know, his children. And, and there are people in Christianity that do that today, or Christianity as we call it at large, um, where it's, you know, well, I go to confession. So it doesn't matter what I did seven days this week. I just went to confession and it's all gone. You know, it doesn't matter how I live my life as long as me and, God, me and the man upstairs are cool on Sundays. Um, so it's very important that we don't allow what God has instituted for the New Testament church, which is the gathering together, the breaking of bread, baptism, those things that we adhere to and we are ordinances for us as Christians, that those don't become ritual. We get together on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock because that's when we meet, not because that's where we want to be and we can't wait to get there. You know, we come on Tuesday nights because, well, it's Genesis 17. I guess I have to hear about circumcision sometime. So, boom, I'm there. (laughs) You know, like, because what happens is you'll see uh, in Romans 4, Tara's been bored back there. I haven't had many verses yet. It's going to get, there's going to be tons of verses coming up, so bear with me. Uh, This is Paul talking to the Romans about the value, the true value of circumcision. And he's talking about Abraham here. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised. If you notice that, that's important. Because we read last week in chapter 15 that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Was he circumcised yet? No. Circumcision wasn't even part of the picture. I'm sure Abraham was wishing it had stayed that way. But um, if it's important because he says that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And then in verse 12, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, which is the Jews, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So you see what Paul is saying here in context with what we're looking at is that the belief in God had nothing to do with his circumcision. The belief in God had to do with the fact that God said it, he believed it, and he was made righteous by that belief, which is the same way that we're made righteous, right? We believe in the Son of God who came and died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then we are counted righteousness where, you know, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through him. So it's the same belief. And that's why Paul talks about it over and over again. And when the Jews were being converted uh, to Christianity and the Gentiles were coming in uncircumcised, the ones that they had hated so much, they couldn't get over it. So they're like, well, we had to be circumcised, so, so do you. It's Jesus and circumcision for you, you know? So it's very important because you'll see that theme throughout the Bible. It's 
Jesus, belief, you know, belief in Jesus and what you bring to the table, what you do for God, right? I even said it. I was like, oh, yeah, do whatever you want and then confess. Now I'm saying, no, it's not about doing whatever you want. It's about a heart change towards God because if you just live how you want and then confess your sins, then you're not showing a true repentance towards God. But I'm also... There's the opposite that can be true. There can be like complete liberalism where you're just what anything goes. And then there can be legalism where it's the rules and the regulations do this and this and God will be happy with you, which is not what God intended either. It was supposed to be a heart change. Jews took great pride in being God's chosen people. The covenant that God made with his people was intended to bring about a change of heart. Over time, just like anything else, the act of circumcision became a ritual, a religion. It's as if... They forgot that God had called them to be his chosen people by his grace. They started to feel entitled. They started to feel, this is who we are because we are better. Not because, hey, we're just as bad as everybody else and thank the Lord that he loves us. You know? It, it, and we see that it, all over, like, where people start to elevate themselves. Well, you know, I'm, what happened to, what, you know, where but for the grace of God go I? That attitude has kind of left the church in some ways. The church sets itself above everyone else instead of being among the world as a light. Let's turn to Deuteronomy, if you would, chapter 10. This is Moses speaking to the children of Israel who had allowed circumcision to just become a a religious activity that they did or had done to them in this case, I guess. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. I'm going to read a few verses here, so I didn't put them up on the screen. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good? So he's saying, people are like, oh, it's all about rules and regulations. You can't do this, you can't do that. And he's saying, no, do you understand it's for your good? Because if you can do whatever you want, what's that going to get you? It's going to get you a wreck. And we'll see that in chapter 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah. Because that's all they did. was Whatever they wanted, that's all they did. And we'll see what happens. Spoiler alert, it's not good. (laughs) Um, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and, and the heaven of the heavens. Sorry, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after him. You above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. You see that? It has to do with the heart. It wasn't about, oh, yeah, just do this thing, this ritual, and I guess I'll look at that and be like, yeah, they're my people. There were people, I'm sure, even back in the Old Testament that were circumcised, and God said, that's not one of my people. And there are verses in there, in the the prophets, where God's rebuking his people for saying, you know, you're circumcised, but... You know, you acknowledge me with your lips, as it were, but your heart is far from me. God always sees the heart. He always knows. So, when we're talking about this circumcision, it's important to see what, what it meant to, the, to those people at that time, but also what it means to us. Uh, so, Paul in Romans 2, verse 28 and 29, he, he, you know, he continues his uh, diatribe about circumcision, as it were. He uh, says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So Paul's saying, doesn't matter what you look like outwardly. What matters is 
what's going on in your heart. It's not about following a letter of rules. It's about the Spirit of God coming and living inside you and making you righteous, not because of your own righteousness, but because of the righteousness that God has chosen to give you, which, as we saw before, is the same belief that Abraham had in God. Abraham wasn't counting on his circumcision to make him righteous. He was counting on belief in God making him righteous before God. The fact that God would even come and talk to him, he was like, you notice how many times Abraham falls on his face? That's the reverence of of God that he had, because he knew he didn't deserve that. He was an idol worshiper, and he's a fallible man. You saw the mistake that he made with Sarah and Hagar. So let's move on. Um, Chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. So he appears to him a fifth time. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. And so they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, Quick, three siyas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Okay, this transitioned into something different. What happened? Where did these people come from, right? It's really interesting because it says, The Lord appeared to him and these three men come to Abraham as he's sitting there. And most people interpret this, commentators and stuff, interpret it as God taking on a, a form as a man, uh, maybe a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. As, as we see in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord oftentimes is, is believed to be Jesus, you know, God the Son in a form that is not yet the body of Jesus as we know him. You know? um, and then two angels, because we'll see in chapter 19 that two go on to Sodom and Gomorrah and the third one's gone. So... This is a really interesting scenario that we, that we run into here. And I, again, we, I see the humor in this. Like, if you could just act it out a little bit, you would see Abraham sitting there. It's hot. It's right in the heat of the day, it says. He's sitting in his tent door. These three guys just show up there, and he's like, whoa, where'd you come from? So it doesn't seem to indicate that Abraham knows it's God, but hospitality was a big deal back in those days, and hopefully it is too today. I know in the New Testament it talks about hospitality a lot. But... Um, so Abraham's saying, oh, don't, don't go anywhere. I'm going to take care of you guys. And then he runs in, and he's like, Sarah, you know, make some bread. And he goes out to this young man, and he's like, here's a calf. Kill it. Prepare it. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm going through this uh, no-meat thing. And it's like I'm reading about calves being prepared and placed out. And I'm like, oh, that sounds really good. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and then I love it because... You know, it's, it reminds me of Jesus in that we see in the New Testament, Jesus loves a good meal. And when he says, let me do this for you, he says, do as you've said. That sounds good. I'm sure they didn't need food. I'm sure they weren't tired. But it would bless Abraham to bless these men. And God allowed them to do that, which I think is pretty cool. Um, another interesting thing is we have this verse, which is in, is in Hebrews 13 too. It's kind of like a standalone verse, and we don't really know where it comes from. But... Uh, the author of Hebrews says this sentence in Hebrews 13 too, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. What does that mean? I don't know. It seems to say that there may be people in your life that you just think are ordinary people, 
you, they come into your life, and then you never see them again. Did those people still exist? Or were they messengers from God? I'll let you guys think about that. But it says here that these men came, and we'll see in chapter 19 that they were angels. And, and he got to entertain them, as it were. And the author of Hebrews says, Be careful that you're hospitable, that you entertain strangers, because they may be angels sent from God to give you an opportunity you know, I want to be more loving. You know, we pray all these prayers. I want to be more loving. I want to be more sharing and giving and generous and all these things. And then God puts opportunities in our path to be those things. And we go, is this from the Lord? I don't know. I better pray about it. You know, if, you know, if somebody needs a, a few dollars here or there. And we're like, I don't have that money right now. But weren't you praying about being generous? You know, I feel like God sometimes will, he'll, when we pray for something like patience, he'll put us in situations that require patience. He won't just say, you're going to be patient now. You know what I mean? Like, if you're praying for generosity, hospitality, to have that heart of love, and the Bible says that we should be, his, we'll be his, his disciples by, we'll be known as his disciples by the love that we have for one another. And we pray, God, I want to have a supernatural love for your people. And then he puts people in your path that are so hard to love. But I think it's God's way of saying, here, here's your opportunity to allow me to live through you, just to love through you. So I think that's a really uh, interesting verse that they throw out in Hebrews there, and it's applicable here in chapter 18. So let's move on to verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? As if they didn't know. And he said, she is in the tent. I think it's funny. Like, everyone's like, yeah, she's in the tent like a good wife. You know, <laughs> what is he saying? Like, no offense, ladies. I'm just kidding. But uh, verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you. So now the Lord's speaking. He's like, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And it's interesting because we saw in chapter 17 that God said these very words to Abraham. But it seems from this chapter that Sarah, this is the first time she's hearing them. Why wouldn't Abraham have told Sarah about this? I don't know. Maybe because the last time Abraham did something that Sarah asked him to do, she's like, a curse on you! <laughs> With Hagar, he's like, she's terrible, why did you let this happen? He's like, wait, you asked me to, wait, I'm out of this, you know? Like any good husband would. Stay out of it. <laughs> um, no, but he's, he, maybe he thought, no, this is going to be crazy, I don't want... God to, you know, I don't want to admit this promise to Sarah and cause problems. I don't know. I can't get in there. But we have to think about it in human terms because these are humans. You know, we have to put ourselves in this situation. Uh, now Abraham, and the Bible again puts a detail in there as if we didn't know. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. It's just to show how miraculous it is. To restate these things, it shows just how miraculous what's going to happen is. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. That's the Bible's delicate way of saying that she's passed. She's had her menopause and she's past the childbearing age. The way of women had ceased to be with her. That's great. That's so delicate. I love it. So, Lara, so Sarah laughed to herself, just like Abraham did, saying, after I am worn out, she doesn't have a high opinion of herself, does she? Man, I'm worn out. And my Lord is old. Lowercase l, she's referring to Abraham. Shall I have pleasure? No, man, we're just... We're sitting in our rocking chairs. We're content. Ishmael's running over there. We're fine. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Literally, that too hard is too wonderful for the Lord, which I think is a cool translation. So they're sitting there. Imagine this. Like, I think we read this and it becomes wooden and we go, mm. and God said, why did Sarah laugh? You know, it's not like that. They're sitting eating calves and curds and milk, and they're sitting there, I don't know, maybe 
maybe God in this form, I'm not trying to be irreverent or anything, but maybe he's got some calf stuck in his teeth, and he's like, oh, why did Sarah laugh? You know, while he's chewing. And Abraham's like, what? And Sarah's like, I didn't laugh. <laughs> you know, it's just so, it, well, come on, it's, it's hilarious, right? Is anything too hard for me? Come on. Really? Do we have to go this route again? Do I have to remind you again of who I am? And she says, but Sarah denied it, saying, I, di- I didn't laugh. For she was afraid. Of who? Did she know that that was God out there? Maybe. Doesn't seem to say, doesn't seem to give us the intent and the, the acknowledgement of if Abraham and Sarah knew who they were. And he said, which I think had compassion. I don't think it's like, no, but you did laugh. It's like, no, you did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can just see it. It's great. Like, yes, you do. You know? <laughs> um, so isn't that cool, though? You, you see this interaction that God has with his people. And the Bible calls Abraham a friend of God in James. It said he believed God and counted into righteousness. Therefore, he is referred to as the friend of God. I don't see God coming down as much with other people as he does with Abraham. You know, he's talking to him so much. Maybe Moses, you know, we see him come, and and he has a lot of interaction with God. But this is an amazing man here.